If we could go ahead and go to word of prayer, and then we'll be looking in Hosea chapter 13 this morning. Lord, as we come to you, we have absolutely no desire to come here wastefully or to waste our time out of duty or out of obligation. We desire to be transformed by the work of your word and by our profession verbally as we sing and proclaim your, your glory. This, this is an absolutely wonderful experience for us to come together and to be changed. And so we ask that the Spirit would come and do that work in us, which means help me to be clear, help me to, to hold truth to Scripture, help all of our hearts to be receptive to the truth, and that you will then take it and do your work in it. So help us to just step out of the way this morning for the next half an hour or so as we look at a a very interesting passage in Hosea and we see our propensity as believers to often relegate you to second or third position in our minds and in our hearts. So do your work this morning, please. In Jesus' name, amen. If you consider the catastrophes that our world has experienced in the last, just say, decade, I, I would imagine that there's been a lot of catastrophes in the last millennium that we just, there was no way to tell people about, so we were unaware of them. But if you just think of the last decade, this weekend is an anniversary of September 11th and the attacks on the Twin Towers, the Pentagon, and it killed around 3,000 people. That's one that is vivid in in our minds this weekend. But if we think of others, to be honest, the 3,000 that that died that day is, is so small compared to some of the huge death tolls and some of the other natural disasters that took place. For instance, in 2004, the tsunami that hit the Sumatra coast in the Indian Ocean killed 250,000 people. In August of 2005, Hurricane Katrina basically leveled New Orleans and 1,800 people were killed. An earthquake near India and Pakistan killed 86,000 lives in October of 2005. 2004 and 2005 were horrendous years. In 2008, there were two natural disasters. An earthquake in the Sichuan province in China killed 69,000 people. The cyclone Nargis in Burma killed 138,000 people in 2008. An earthquake in 2010 hit Port-au-Prince, Haiti's capital, and killed nearly 230,000 people. Do you remember those events? I would imagine, if you're like me, I have an absolutely horrid memory, but I would imagine you've heard of most of those. Some of them maybe you, you, you heard of, but they didn't really settle in your heart. Maybe some of them you remember specifically where you were standing when you heard of it. I remember specifically September 11th, 2001, where I was standing when I heard the news that the Twin Towers had been attacked. I was at work in my green outfit at Marcor Medical Services. That's where I was. It, I will never forget that moment. I would imagine that You may remember some of the other ones. Probably none of them hit you quite as strong as that one, though. They didn't, all of them, affect you directly. You heard about them in the news, but they didn't affect you 
directly. And they've probably, until I just mentioned them, maybe they faded in your minds. I would imagine that there are a lot of people, though, that are still alive in those places where those events will never be forgotten. Maybe they still live in temporary housing. I would imagine, I know it takes a long time to completely rebuild a city, rebuild an area. Maybe half of their family was lost. Maybe they see the ruins every day of their life as they walk to work or walk to the store or wherever they may go. They walk by the destruction every day. It's still imprinted in their minds because it's still affecting them every day, every moment. Let me ask you this. What is in the forefront of your mind? You're like, Pastor Sturger, I know... Is God in the forefront of your mind? If that's what you were wondering, I was going to say that's where I'm going. Have you forgotten the death of Christ? Well, you would answer, I'm sure, with a definitive, no, of course not. Yet how often does the work of Christ rest in the forefront of our minds in our daily lives? Has Christ's death simply become a symbol of our faith. We wear a cross or we have a cool tattoo or we have this chain that reminds us of it, but it's simply this symbol. Or is Christ's death only remembered each month as we celebrate the Lord's table? Is his death something that saturates the music we listen to and sing, but never actually truly affects our lives? We love 102.5, but it doesn't really change Anything. We love listening to this music and singing it on Sunday morning, but we walk out and Christ is not at the forefront of our lives. How do we get to the point where we forget the cross? Let me word it a little bit differently. How do we get to the point where the cross becomes something that is easily dismissed in our minds? How do we come to the point where the cross is irrelevant to our practical living? Well, in enters Hosea. And you're saying, really, Hosea? Yes, beautiful paradigm of how we go from being blessed by God to forgetting him. As we go to the book of Hosea this morning, we find a simple process that we're going to look at. But before we read it, let's just get a real quick, real quick overview of Hosea. Now, God told Hosea to marry Gomer. She was a harlot. Hosea's marriage to Gomer is a picture of God's marriage to Israel, who was idolatrous. Gomer was a harlot. The people of Israel were idolatrous. And in this marriage, God's unconditional love is displayed to his people. Gomer left Hosea, committed adultery numerous times, and in the midst of her adultery, Hosea continues to uphold her, to support her financially, and she pushes him away. In the same way, Israel left God and committed idolatry numerous times, and each time God was upholding them and preserving them, and each time they were pushing him away. And yet each time Hosea tried and drew Gomer back, and in the same way God brought back and restored Israel time and time again, it's an absolutely beautiful picture of God's unconditional love and grace. And it's in this context that we find our passage this morning that lays down for us this process to forgetting. 
It's, this process is serious because it is Israel's forgetting that led them to idolatry and their eventual destruction. Let's go ahead and take your Bible, Hosea chapter 13, and our focus this morning is on verses 4 to 8, but let me read 1 through 3 as well. Hosea chapter 13, starting in verse 1. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He was exalted in Israel, but he incurred guilt through Baal and died. And now they sin more and more and make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made of their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of them, those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. Therefore they shall be like the morning mist or like the dew that goes early away, like the chaff that swirls from the threshing floor or like smoke from a window. But I, I am the Lord your God. From the land of Egypt you know no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. But when they had grazed, they became full, they were filled, and their heart was lifted up, therefore they forgot me. If you've followed me this morning, hopefully you have so far, you understand that I'm going to try to accomplish this goal this morning. Establish that we have a tendency to forget God in practicality. More specifically, we have a tendency to forget Jesus Christ and his death for us. Therefore, there are two recipients in the room this morning, those who have forgotten and need to be reminded or those who have not forgotten and need to be reminded how easy it is to forget. And you also understand that I want to use Hosea to show us how we can come to the point of forgetting. But before we look into the passage any further, I need to define the word forget. Maybe you've stumbled over that already this morning. Well, how do you forget God? How do you forget the death of Christ? How do you forget salvation through Christ? I mean, what do you mean by that, Aaron? If you're like me, the meaning of forget carries with it the idea of, of this. A concept, event, or thought that has been lost in my consciousness. Maybe temporarily, maybe permanently. So if I say I forget, I would mean that the idea was absent from my mind. And that's what we often use. Your wife asks you, did you do this? I forgot. Which means that thought, that, that desire that your wife had for you, was absent from your mind when you were supposed to take care of it, right? We, we can do that a lot of times. If that's what I mean by forget, I need to offer a second definition. Because if I were to say, has the death of Christ been absent from your mind or lost in your consciousness, you would say absolutely not. Let me offer another suggestion. If we define forget this way, a concept, event, or thought that is ignored or withers in my mind? That would be a different question. So then I would ask it this way. Has the death of Christ been ignored in your life? Has the death of Christ withered in significance in your mind? That is the question that is being posed this morning. We see an example of it, probably a good example of it, in the church of Ephesus in Revelation 2. Imagine being the church in Ephesus. 
basically you have Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos start your church. You have Paul come in for three-ish years, stay with you in his third missionary journey. And you have the Apostle John retire there in your church. That's pretty cool leadership. And John comes to these people in Revelation, and he he says, you have held fast to the faith, you have fought against false doctrine, it's a wonderful thing you have done, but I hold this one thing against you, you have left your first love. And, And this is how I would see it in the context of our discussion this morning. You have let the significance of Christ wither from his preeminence in your heart and your mind to something lower than that. It's not that you forgot about Christ because you've been fighting for the truth of who Christ is and what he's done, but you've let his preeminence come down a number of notches almost to the point where you're fighting for doctrine, but you fail to actually love Christ. That's an example of how this can happen. But we also see, if we look at the Old Testament, we see this word forget used a number of places. And let me just quickly read these. And yes, we are going to get to Hosea. Forgetting in Isaiah 51.13 means not trusting in God's faithfulness and power and instead fearing the oppressor. That's what it says, Isaiah 51.13. And you have forgotten the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth. And how is that forgetting displayed? You fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor when he sets himself to destroy. Forgetting in Deuteronomy 8.11 is not obeying God's commandments. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments. So neglecting his truth and not obeying his word is equivalent in this passage to forgetting him. Forgetting in Deuteronomy 8.19 is tied to serving other gods. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you should perish. So with that concept, hopefully you followed me, that concept of forgetting, allowing God, specifically the death of Christ and who Christ is, to wither in significance in our minds, how do we get to that point and we go to Hosea 13 verse 4 and oddly enough the first step to forgetting is that God provides our needs look at Hosea 13 verse 4 but I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt you know no God but me and besides me There is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought, but when they had grazed, God provided their needs. In summary form, in two and a half verses, God outlines for them how he, over numbers of years, provided the needs of Israel. From the point of their enslavement in Egypt the plagues, their deliverance from Egypt, their deliverance through the sea, their, the manna that they received in the wilderness, the water that comes from the rock in the wilderness to supply their needs. He reminds them of that. He reminds them of how he conquered nations so that they could have the land he had promised them. He reminds them of all those things. And they were to serve him and him only. 
So in two and a half verses, he reiterates this history. And let me ask you this. Has God, as we draw to ourselves, has God provided your needs as believers? I think it would be easy for us to, in the same way that Hosea outlines the history of God's provision for the people of Israel, for us to look at the New Testament and see briefly how God has provided your needs. God has promised to provide all our needs. Ephesians 1.3, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. God reminds us that while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. God reminds us that we ought to be content with what we have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. God reminds us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. God reminds us that while some of us were at one time darkness, you were washed You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. God reminds us that we were bought with a price. See, Israel struggled. They forgot what God had done in Egypt, in the wilderness, in the promised land. And regularly, the prophets tell them, remember what God has done. I turn to you this morning and I say, remember what God has done. He has taken dark wretched sinners, and he has saved them to his glorious grace. That's an awesome thing. And yet so often we get worried about right now in the temporal. And we forget all of that. It's easy to do. We all do it. We all struggle with that. And I I come to you today and I ask you, remember what God has done done for you in Christ. (coughs) That doesn't mean that life is easy. That doesn't mean that life hasn't been more challenging than we would have hoped or more challenging for some of us than others. I mean, remember, Israel wandered in the wilderness. They were picking their food off of the ground. Just enough for that day. They were in such need that they had to get water from a rock. I mean, they must have had some rough days up to that point. And we as well. As we walk with Christ, there are days when we just struggle and hurt and have need physically. Christ is aware of that. I think all of you would probably quickly and heartily agree that God has provided our needs in a beautiful way in Christ, the same way he provided the needs of the people of Israel. And so we take then our second step to forgetting. God provides our needs, and then we become content with what we have. Hosea thirteen six. But when they had grazed, they became full. Israel became full or they became satisfied. Moses warns them of this numerous times. He tells them a couple different passages, and I don't know that I'll read both of them. But we find it in in Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 12. 
and in 8, 10 through 14. We find it similarly by Agar in Proverbs 38 through 9. Let me read just a couple of those. Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 12. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full... So Moses, prior to this, in Hosea 13, right? Moses tells the people of Israel, when you eat and are full, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He says, he says be careful because you're going to get full, you're going to get satisfied, and you're going to forget me. Same concept, Agur prays that it will not happen in Proverbs 30, remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Believers can too easily become satisfied as well. You may ask the question, well, what, what is being satisfied? Aren't we often encouraging? Well, you should be satisfied with what you have, right? What's the problem with being satisfied? The problem is not so much that we shouldn't be satisfied as much as that we are far too easily satisfied. C.S. Lewis says in his Weight of Glory and Other Addresses, one of my absolutely favorite statements if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We must realize that we often are satisfied and completely full when just our material needs are met. Is that not true? If, if we have what we need materially, if we have our home and, and it's not going to be foreclosed on us, and we have food each week, we have health care, we have our phones, apparently is a need nowadays, that I'm told. Um, our family is healthy. We think through these, these seven or eight things our job is stable. I am satisfied. And I, I, don't, I don't expect that of you because I, th I think most likely you think spiritually. And I hope so. I hope that you don't think of your temporal condition and become satisfied. But I think too often we have the tendency to do that. I'm good. Everything's going good. I'm satisfied. And yet we fail to even consider our spiritual condition. Whether, if we're an unbelievers, our spiritual condition at all, desperately in need of Christ, or as believers who are needing to grow. 
having a passion for truth, having a passion for the word, having a passion to grow in our, as Paul prayed for the believers, in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He, he desired, he prayed, oh, Lord, help them grow in grace and in knowledge. Their understanding of grace, their holding to grace, and their knowledge of the truth. Help them grow. Are we too satisfied too easily with our knowledge spiritually? Can you still grow in your relationship with God? Obviously the answer is yes. And I think too often we are too easily satisfied. As we've already read in the passage of Deuteronomy 8, becoming satisfied leads to the third step in forgetting which we find in Hosea. We become proud of what we have attained. God blesses us, we become satisfied, and then we become proud of what we have attained. Let me restate that. We become proud of what we think we have attained. If we were to read uh, further in Deuteronomy, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God, God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. God, who brought you water out of the flinty rock. God, who fed you in the wilderness with manna. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant. This is the same conclusion that Hosea proclaims in Hosea 13, verse 6. When they had grazed, they become full, they were filled, and their heart was lifted up. This moral decay or unraveling to a point of pride is a trend not only in the history of the people of Israel, but as well in our lives. And that's why Paul reminds us in Titus 3.5, saved us, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 2.8-9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. This inclination to pride in believers is dealt with by Christ numerous times in the Gospels and reiterated by Peter in 1 Peter 5 Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud. Can you not imagine, as Peter writes this section, he recalls the time when he turns to Christ and says, I'll never forsake you. And he writes to these young believers, and he says, God hates pride. He hates it. I love the passage where Peter and Christ walk on the sea and Christ forgives Peter. It's so beautiful. And you see this dramatic change in the life of Peter as he writes to these these believers that are going through persecution and he says, clothe yourselves with humility. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, 
in the same way that Israel became proud as they viewed all that they thought they had accomplished, we can easily become proud of all we have accomplished. Consider how easy it would have been for Israel as they sit in their ornate house that they had taken from another people. And they think of, man, we've, we've done a lot of good work the last 50 years. I mean, really think about it. Because like, we were prisoners in Egypt, and bam, like we got out of there. And then we actually went over the sea on dry ground. Moses was awesome on that one. And now we've just taken over everyone and look at the house and the sweet garden I got in the back. <laughs> now, yes, am I being a little dramatic? Obviously. But do you think that's possible? Let, let's reword this. You sit in your nice, comfy home in Sun Prairie, and you think, I worked really hard to get the job that I have, and, and uh, I've got a, a sweet church family and a sweet family and, and three kids and this wonderful dog, and, and look at my home and my job, and man, I, I have worked really hard for all this. Look what I have accomplished. You're one step away. One step away from forgetting Christ. Forget that it is God who gave us the ability to do anything that we have done. Not only did he give us the thing, he allowed us the ability and the wisdom to accomplish that thing. And we accomplish it and think it's all us failing to realize he is the one who gives us the strength and power to do it for his glory. And it's this pride that brings us to the last step in this process. God blesses us. We become full or satisfied, comfortable. We become comfortable. We become proud of what we think we've attained. And then we forget God. This forgetting is the last step mentioned by Hosea in Hosea 13.6. But when they had grazed, they became full and they were filled. And their heart was lifted up, therefore they forgot me. I remind you, as I mentioned at the outset of this message, what it looked like for Israel to forget. Israel did not trust in God's faithfulness and power, and instead they feared their oppressors. That was what their forgetting God looked like. Israel did not obey God's commandments. Israel served other gods. Israel depended on their own counsel and not that of God's. What about us as believers? Do we forget God? Most specifically, or more specifically, do we forget, ignore, or allow to wither in our minds the work of Christ for us on the cross? Has his death become an irrelevant fact in the everyday decisions of our lives? Sadly, I remember sitting, or I don't think I was teaching. I think I was sitting in a class, and, and it was on parenting, and, a, and one of the, the teachers said, I think it's important that we encourage, or someone in the class said, I think it's important that we encourage our children to consider would Christ be pleased with the action that you're doing? And I remember my heart sank as one of the people said, oh, come on, guys. Really? Do you even do that? And I remember a number of us actually said, yeah, 
like we do. Like we care what Christ thinks of something. And he's like, I don't think we do that. Pretty sure we do. And if you don't, pretty sure you need to. And I realized, it struck me right then, a, a guy that, that, that claims Christ, that I think loves Christ, loves the truth, in his practical living, he doesn't consider whether Christ would be pleased with an action he just committed. How, how true is that of us as Christians? I hope that's not normal. But that's where we've come to. We get so comfortable with our lives, maybe spiritually and physically. We come to this point thinking, look what we've done. And we simply allow Christ to wither in significance. And in the same way that God called out to Israel through the prophets, come back to God. Remember what God has done for you in the salvation he offered. Today we call out to believers, don't ever forget Don't ever become proud of the things that God has done in and through you. Remember that it is God that has given you all that you have. Have you forgotten? Have you begun to think that all you have is the work of your hands? Have you become proud of your work? Have you, in the practical outworkings of your life, forgotten the work of Christ? In the last 10 years or so, goodness, I guess it's 13 years, nearly 1 million people, and probably more that we are unaware of, have died in tragedies. We often take time to stop and remember these big events. We put up memorials for these events. We do this so that we are continually reminded of these events of much more significance. Over 2,000 years ago, God became man in the person of Jesus Christ, John 1.14, and He, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. And he lived a perfect life and he died on a cross for our sins. And we could say today with a united voice, we have not forgotten. But even better would be for us throughout the entirety of our lives to live like we haven't forgotten. If you find that, as you consider this message, God has provided for you. He has met your needs. Where would you find yourself on that continuum? Being satisfied? Being proud of what you've attained? Forgetting God? Or basking in what Christ has done? That's somewhere on that line. The beautiful thing that is true that is pictured in Hosea, if you have strayed, there is forgiveness in Christ. In the same way that Hosea continually went back to Gomer and bought her naked in the public square and bought her back and loved her in a beautiful way, in a beautiful demonstration, Christ tells you, you 
I understand that you have the tendency, all of us have this tendency to allow me, Christ, to wither in your minds. And I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you, come back for your good and for God's glory. Come back to me. So we then offer 1 John 1, 9, that when we ask forgiveness, he is quick to forgive. And we repent of that sin. And we turn and we have failed to look at Christ, but we're going to look back. And that's what John says in, in Ephesians, to the, I'm sorry, in John, in Revelation, to the church in Ephesus. In fact, let me read his advice to them. Verse 5 in chapter 2 of Revelation, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Remember what Christ has done. Repent, turn from your sinning, and turn to Christ and do the works you did at first. In essence, the application of this message is the counsel that John gives the church in Ephesus. If we find ourselves anywhere but keeping Christ at the focus of our minds, and let's just be honest, all of us struggle with this every day. So every day we have to do this. We realize at some point we have allowed the death of Christ and our salvation to wither in importance in our minds. We do this. We turn. We remember what Christ has done. We repent of our sin, and we do that which we had done in the first, and we restore that passionate love for Christ. I'm so thankful that Jesus Christ came, lived, died, rose again, and was exalted for our salvation most importantly for God's glory. So I extend to you the gospel this morning. If you haven't accepted Christ, repented of your sins, and embraced the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for your salvation, then this message isn't the one you need to hear. First, you have to take care of that. That is the most important. I'm assuming... There may be unbelievers here today, but I'm assuming primarily we have church members that have professed faith in Christ. So for us, we realize that today I'm going to have to look and assess my life and find where am I at in this, and then remember, repent, and do. Let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for your patience with us. We, too often, I, I, it's almost as if this message is at one point of time. The problem is, is we do this regularly. We go through this process. You, you bless us and then we're satisfied and we, we come proud and we forget you. We let you f fall in imminent, preeminence. This is a daily thing. This is a message that is regularly to be on our minds. The truth that we must work diligently through the power of the Spirit to allow Christ to remain preeminent in our hearts and minds. So, so please do that work. Only you can do that work. Help us to acknowledge that work that you have done. You who have promised, he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Thank you for that promise. Help us to rest in your 
very powerful, capable work in our lives. Bless this church family. Thank you for them. Work in their hearts. Work in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.